Welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu Campaign Descent into Darkness Season 2. I am Travis. I will be your keeper today. And I have the usual players with me, so I'll let them introduce themselves and their characters, starting with you, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm playing Johan Muller, who is currently hanging out in an insane asylum trying to, you know, relax. <laughs> I'm Brandon. Sorry about that. I'm playing Dr. Wallace Andrews and currently uh, trying to determine who it is that was hired to keep me off this case and why that's so important to him. On my way to a mental institution to meet with a doctor. And I am Justin. I'm playing Lance Monroe, a gregarious and talkative a showman and archaeologist of the occult who is currently obsessed with a mummy in a sarcophagus. I'm John, playing James Jimmy Whitmire, and I probably wish that I was either in an insane asylum or at least anywhere but here. And we will start this session's events with Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe as they linger still in the hidden room in the basement of the destroyed chapel of contemplation where the reanimated corpse of someone who calls themselves Oren Eddy, obviously quite mad from his experience. Now for those of you with, uh, the, between the two of you, I suppose you're both versed in the occult, but sort of an inroad into that would be, you know, weird fiction of the day or of days gone by, and you can't help but to notice that staple of fiction weird fiction has been played out here and that is to be buried alive but in those old stories usually it's a human that's buried alive and even though it would be quite horrible to starve to death or die of thirst beneath six feet of earth wouldn't it be even more horrible if you were buried alive and you couldn't die as Oren Eddie was or at least claims to be and seems to be so how much further into madness would a person like that be driven but there may be more to tell so i'll open it there maybe you guys have thought of questions between last week and now uh what do you want to do one of the questions that had uh kind of popped into monroe's mind is that both the corbett journal and Warren eddie had mentioned a pastor michael thomas and so i was going to ask him so Oren, do you know how we can find pastor michael thomas i I do not know. He was at the church after I was enshrined. Until everything went dark, he was here. He was not my choice to lead the congregation, but Mr. Corbett's. I had trained another, Elisa Bishop, but he was killed, supplanted by Michael Thomas, who led them in this blasphemous worship of Zagua, the sleeper of Inkai. And he drifts off into some muttering to himself. Do you know what the artifacts were that the other people had imbued their consciousness into? That had also gone through the ritual of Nefren Ka? Yes, I oversaw many of them up until my own death. Some were buried with their pocket watch. Others with various things important to them. It depended on the person. It is... Sort of a haze. My life is like a shuttered light, a small light held against the immense darkness that recent time has been for me. And if we do have your pocket watch, how do we ensure that it's destroyed properly? The artifact is a focal point. It 
There's no special properties all on its own. It can be destroyed like any other of its kind. Can we just smash it with a hammer? Yes, do it now! Well, Dr. Andrews? Well? As hesitant as I am to destroy someone with so much knowledge of the uh, inner workings of the cult that we are attempting to hunt down, perhaps we should let this poor man rest. Yes, I agree. He's clearly suffering. Oh, perhaps one more question. Uh, Oren, we, we have recently come across a, a murder. A, look, it appeared to be a sacrifice in which the blood was taken from a body and the body ripped apart. Do you know of any such rituals in the cult of the Starry Wisdom and who may have performed them? Yes, blood sacrifice was important to my old master. I tried to move away from it, but when I died and Michael Thomas killed Elisha Bishop, he brought it back all in the name of Zagua. Sometimes they would dissect the bodies to better fit through the gate to feed Zagua. Oh, he eats, he eats, and he sleeps. I have not seen much since those days, but I had a dream of a man who removed his own eyes. That is all I can say. That, that reminds me. Uh, sir, we, there have been many people who have had these statues of Zagua that have started having dreams of what a, seemed to be someplace out near Oklahoma. Was that typical in the, in the cult? No, we were worshippers of the haunter in the dark. Zagua is something else entirely. Something from Walter Corbett's Lieber Ivanus. He would not let me look at its pages. He held it to himself. This, I chose this church because it sits on a sacred line or a holy site, and I thought it would enhance my ability to contact the haunter in the dark, but he did not show himself to me. And for you who are knowledgeable in the occult, a sacred line or a holy site uh, would be the proto-term to what we might now call a ley line. That'll kind of catch my attention, and I'll ask him, Sir, are there any other sacred lines in Boston that you know of that we may be able to search for other churches or I'm that sure. others may try and build churches upon? I'm sure that there must be, but this was the most powerful one. I felt it as soon as I walked on its ground. It presses at the mind. Which I'll remind you guys, you felt sort of a, a tingling sensation at your temples as soon as you had arrived at the Chapel of Contemplation. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Any Anything else? Or, or are you going to put this guy out of his misery or seal him back up for another time? <clears throat> well... Well, He's clearly suffering, but we did send Whitmire to get people that he trusts to come check this guy out. Oh, okay. And where were you going, Mr. Whitmire? Um, if I remember... The SEU. Correctly. Yeah, I was going to the SEU to get uh, Mr. Merriweather and people that he trusts. All right, so uh, the SEU is often, they hold court at the Orin Private reading room at the Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts. So you already know you won't be able to make it there tonight as you tried to earlier this evening. Uh, Mr. Merriweather had mentioned in our first session that he regretted he couldn't partake in the investigation, but he had to travel abroad. So he's been departed at least for a day now. Oh, he's out of the country? That seemed to be his intentions. So who was it that he had trusted to help us? The guy that came and picked me up. Wasn't yeah, that him that... Finn that, McCracken? Uh, yeah, that's who I'll go to. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, you know, in your history, um, he had been following you, and you wonder if that still might be going on. So I suppose you can give me a spot hidden roll. <laughs> Damn it. It will be easier than I thought. Um, can I push that? As I mean... The fact that he found me 
when I was getting, uh, or they were trying to force me to go kill somebody and hang on to that gun, really, I, I had only noticed him because of the car, so if he's not driving that same car, that would be my push reason. Yeah, I will say, you know, um, what could go wrong is you have made a point to let people know that you're not in Boston and so raising your profile in any way, whether it be just stand in some very obvious place so that you could locate Finn McCracken might also put you in an obvious place where those who are lurk- looking for you might find you. So, yeah, go ahead and push it. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, you, you kind of go to a... <laughs> you just pick a street corner at random, and you, you're standing there sort of looking around looking for somebody in the flow of traffic who's sort of behaving oddly, or maybe you've seen that car pass by twice now. But what you do see is uh, um, not the foreign car that was following you last night, but a different one sort of pumps their brakes and there's a slight squeal of tires, but then their travel evens out and they go, you know, they travel past you where you're on that corner and you can see in the cab the hulking shape of Finn McCracken. All right. So I'll uh, start walking up the street, uh, same direction that he was going. I was trying to keep an eye on that vehicle. I was hoping it will pull off to the side. Okay. Um, or somewhere where I can uh, flag him down. Get flag him down a bit. Yeah, it's gotten you know quite late. To, there's only you know minutes of of sunlight left before night happens. <laughs> so yeah, you you get to. Uh, where there's less foot traffic or traffic altogether, and you flag him down, and and he uh, pulls over with so, like a somewhat chagrined look on his face as he was trying to tell you again without your notice, but he steps out of the vehicle, which, you know, the it lurches to a level state as he steps out, and the weight of of himself is relieved from the frame of the vehicle, but he looks at you questioningly, walks around the car, and looks at you. So I'm gonna ask him how. How much uh, information did Mr. Merriweather give you about Peru? Uh, make a psychology roll. Okay, so he tells you he did read your guys' journals and Thaddeus Grunewald's annotations surrounding them. So he knows everything that was in your guys' personal journals submitted to the SEU for your report. Okay. So... I'll, uh, I'll say, then I, I assume you know about what happened at the Corbett house. Uh, and then I'll... Uh... Yeah, I w- he was part of it. He writes that. And I wanted to say with that successful psychology role, it does seem like there's, you know, something he's holding back on. Okay. Um, I'll save that for for a little bit. Um, we'll fall back, or come back to that one a little bit later. But uh, then I'll... So I'll tell him, how far away did I go from the church here? Uh, not too far. Well, I guess you were in your vehicle, so okay. several blocks, you know, before so, you finally decided to stop and, and get your tail to show themselves. Okay. I'll tell him, uh, you know, pull around and, and follow me back to the church. As, uh, there's, there's something that we've got to try and deal with there, and I'll give him just a brief rundown of, of what we found down there so far. Okay. Yeah, his, um, you know, eyes glint with uh, a little anxiousness, although he doesn't seem as alarmed as just your average normal person might be if you describe the situation to them. But yeah, he, I guess, drives you back to where you parked and you and it follows you back to the, the church grounds. So we'll bounce back over to Mr. Monroe and Dr. Andrews. So, Mr. Monroe, I know I said that we should destroy this talisman because clearly he's suffering, but then it occurs to me that he didn't come upon this condition innocently. And in life, and certainly by the actions it took to get into this position he's in, he was not a good person, so I'm not overly concerned with his suffering. And perhaps we should keep him around long enough to see what other information we can gather from it. Well, I agree he did break the laws of nature in order to reach the state that he's in currently it is the moral necessity of good men to forgive and let people rest in peace 
once their time is done. But clearly his time is not done, as he cheated to allow himself more, and he spoke of sacrifices that that he witnessed and took part in. So he's been here this long. What's a couple more days? At the very least, let's grant him the brief mercy of leaving a light in his chamber with him. Yes, we could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's as you guys have, uh, you know, set up a little night light for Orin Eddie and sealed up his sarcophagus, much to his protests, and stumbled out of the hole in which you had been digging that you see two cars pull alongside the road next to the ruins of the Chapel of Contemplation, and out gets Mr. Whitmire and the hulking form of Finn McCracken. Well, Mr. Whitmire, that took significantly less time than I was expecting. Well, while I was driving, I realized that Mr. Merriweather isn't even in the the uh, country. So, figured, if he trusts... Uh, what was his name, Walsh or Walt? Uh, Finn McCracken? Finn. Oh. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, was, uh, if he uh, trusts uh, Finn here to you know watch us and keep us out of trouble, then figure he uh, trusts him enough to be able to help us in this type of situation as well. Very well. And even though I agree that he's he's a helpful hand, I doubt that even he could manage to keep you out of trouble, my good friend. You would be surprised. <laughs> uh, Finn's uh, scrabble or scribbles in his pad, and it, the question is, what are we? So, what are we doing here? Well, uh, there's, uh, yeah, there, there's a not so dead body uh, buried underneath the church. Was, uh, apparently, he was part of a cult that uh, Walter or that uh, Mr. Corbin was in part of uh, the, what was it called, Monroe? The Cult of the Starry Wisdom. And my good sir, Mr. McCracken, I was wondering, in any of the conversations that you've had with Mr. Merriweather, did he ever mention someone that was a part of the church of the cult, or the Cult of Starry Wisdom named Orin? Orin uh, Eddie? He scribbles no in his pad. Hmm, hmm. By any chance, did he happen to mention um, anyone by the name of Pastor Michael Thomas, other than in the Corbett journals? Again, you get a hastily scribbled no. Mm. Are you uh, are you thinking that Mr. Merriweather was part of the church? Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he has been investigating these matters far longer than any of us have, and so I was curious whether or not the SEU had stumbled across any of this information before we, we began. Well, I didn't thought someone had to dig this out before, so I don't think that that looked like somebody had just filled it in recently. No. Didn't didn't the building, like, collapse after being set on fire or something like that? Yeah, according to the police report by uh, Detective James Barrister, the building burned down and yeah, has right. been derelict ever since. Yeah, like, but we just bury on. We just dug some of it out. Yeah, right. don't you remember? I brought some tools. Yeah, no, I, I remember. You're mysteriously. Yes, you mysteriously showing asked up. Asked for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember because you tried to beat us to death with one of those tools. Yeah, that <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Sorry. In all fairness, that. it was it was pretty clumsy attempt. Well. So the situation we're in is we have this corpse down there, and I don't think it's safe to leave it there. We've got to take it somewhere, and we don't trust a lot of people. So how do we solve this problem? Where do we take it? How do we get it out of there? Yeah. This um, Finn looks like a big fella. Maybe he can help. Isn't he a big guy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's a pretty big Irishman. Okay. Yeah, I think that... uh well, my thought here is that uh, good old Finn probably has access to some of Merriweather or knows some of Merriweather's resources that he would trust more than others. So 
maybe one with a truck and uh, a few more to help lug this thing out to wherever we can take it. And where would we take uh, it? That's the question. Well, um, can I do like a luck roll to see if I know somewhere where like a old stash house or something? Uh, not luck, but you could use your stealth skill or fast talk. Those are your uh, uh, your smuggler skills. So. Okay, I'll try a stealth. Could I use my um, my um, you know the thing? My uh, financial score to see if I've like read about any houses like on the outskirts of town that could be for rent or something like that. Yeah, that's an option too. What's that? What's that? What is that skill called? Why can I not remember? Credit, Credit rating. rating. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, go ahead and throw one out there. Let's see. Looks like well, Jimmy's already got a hard stealth success, but two options better than one. I do have to ask friends whether or not it is reasonable for us to dig up a mausoleum underground in a lot that does not belong to us without us being contested um well uh just to make things clear from what Oren has told you it may not be that complicated all you need to do to move him is to move his corpse and the locket maybe not even his corpse but certainly the locket did we find the locket in there? He claims it was buried with him. I oh, think that's well, all you guys know. Yeah, we didn't of- we didn't open it up all the way because I don't trust that he'll not leap out of there and strangle the life out of us. I can uh, go see if I can get it. Well, I'm nervous about letting the corpse out of that coffin. So that. wherever we take it, I'd prefer to take it with the coffin. And as to your point, Lance... Uh, to be clear, I'm a, I'm a doctor, a man of medicine. I wouldn't be doing any digging. It would be you gentlemen. So I could supervise. Um, well, that's the, uh, reason why I would have preferred if Finn knows a couple, couple trusting people to help us dig this out and put it up in the back of a truck. And we're sure, certainly not going to get it into the cars, but. I would like to do uh, a once-over of the room to see if maybe the locket is just in the room rather than in the coffin, if no one objects to that. No. And if you do, I'll silently sneak in there and do it anyways. I mean, I don't object to it. Lance <laughs> and I were looking around in there, and we didn't find it, but... um, So, when we first opened it up, it opened up all the way. Is there any kind of a role this that we can see whether or not we actually noticed a locket in there with the corpse or any other items. You mean like a memory like role? Well, yeah, no, like you mem- did. He was buried with various items, you know? Okay. Uh, you don't remember a locket specifically, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it wasn't there. Okay. And okay. with your, the stealth hard success and the credit rating success that you guys had, either option would work. Uh, Dr. Andrews, you could secure an apartment or a home on the outskirts of town in which you might store this. Uh, and also, you you had a sort of a personal area, Mr. Whitmire, that you would stash stuff. And it was pretty bulky because, you know, you often had to stash large quantities of liquor and what have you. Okay. So, uh, I'd say, depending on what our transportation and what the help looks like, that'll, and which, yeah. Which one we can get to soonest is that's going to be uh, probably the decision maker. Yeah, the moving um, Ben McCracken, you know, scrawls down and he's like, I think, I think I could help with the transport. Um, I don't, I can't think of any anybody here in Boston who I might trust not to remark on moving a sarcophagus, you know, in casual conversation or something the next day. But I definitely could get a truck here to move it. Okay, well let me uh, let me go look for this locket real quick because if if what uh, Monroe and uh, Wallace are saying is true, then maybe we don't need to take the whole thing because if we can find that, so I, I'd like to go ahead and head back in there and uh, would I need another? Um, 
like mechanical repair. No, to, you, uh, okay, you understand to block it, well it up. Okay. So yeah, I want to open it just a bit and, uh, and I'll, I'll end up asking him, uh, if the locket's in there and. All right. Well, we'll pause for just a moment with you and, uh, jump in, see how Professor Mueller's doing. So, Professor Mueller, you are once again in the dope vignettes, the dope diaries. Uh, amongst those, you look at your hands as they're sort of bound down by your sides, and you see damp leaves and dirt and an unknown fiber wrapped around your fingers and then fades to black. And then you get kind of a replay of young Thaddeus Grunwald visiting you, this time with a trail of blood seeping out from beneath his hairline and then the shutters close and you open your eyes again and you see the black suited wide brimmed fedora wearing consortium member replacing your bedside flowers with the toad statuette intoning the latin somnum manducari procreare as he walks backward out of your room and then the shutter closes again opens douglas kimball's there reading to you from the De Vermis Mysterious, like a attentive parent. And uh, this is the passage he reads. Oh, this is interesting, Professor Mueller. Listen to this. This process by which one mind might be transferred into another body. While the old body becomes a hollow dead thing, the mind endures in the new form, retaining all memory and thought. The conjecture states that the host mind is expelled and destroyed. The process is not without danger, as the interloping mind dies if the procedure is failed. Here are written the forms and techniques required to complete the transfer. That would be useful for someone of your advanced age, don't you think, Professor Mueller? Uh, yes, Herr Kimball, uh, of course. <laughs> it would be uh, most helpful. Well, it's right here. In the book, when you get out of here, you have to pay special attention to page 462. And then our shutter closes again, and it opens, and in this time, uh, relief fills you when a figure comes in the doorway because you, uh, are, you have this idea that this must be your lawyer, and your suspicion is confirmed when he introduces himself as Mr. Barnett. And uh, he even show you, shows you his lawyer's badge. And there you can see his <laughs> lawyer's gun on his hip. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, make a psychology roll. <laughs> uh, ah, these dice. <laughs> well, there is something odd about this lawyer, but it, it's just a nagging sensation behind your relief. But um, he sits down. And he says, ah, uh, Professor Mueller, is that right? Uh, yes, yes. Well, I just want to assure you that uh, a person in your state by Massachusetts law can only be held for 24 hours, only longer with a doctor's recommendation. So if everything goes well, you should be out of here this evening, which kind of throws you for a, a loop because you swore you saw the morning, the morning sun, uh, we just have to clear up a few things. Can you tell me your whereabouts yesterday morning? What was the last thing I remember just sitting in my chair, I believe? Uh, the paddy yes. wagon? <laughs> yeah, well, the last thing you remember was your conversation with Thaddeus Grunewald. Or, you mean outside of the... Uh, well, I think yeah, that's you... what he's talking about, right? Unless I've been gallivanting. <laughs> yeah, so it would be... Um, so the last thing you remember was being in your home, sitting in your chair, and then you saw Douglas Kimball on your bed and everything raced into the darkness and then you're in the paddy wagon and off to the the sanitarium so oh. he's he would be referring i guess to that morning okay uh unfortunately i have no real recollection of the the morning that uh in, in question uh old age it uh one morning bleeds into the other i'm afraid ah uh, yes the uh old man's sickness my father's stricken with it as well. Well, no matter. Like I said, it's just perfunctory to keep you for 24 hours, uh, which, by my estimation, you're over halfway through that. So as soon as they uh, complete the trepanning, they'll probably be good to go. Uh, what? 
<laughs> so uh, that's where they dr uh, drill I know a hole in your head. Is. <laughs> <laughs> and I figure so does Johan. <laughs> well, you're distracted for a moment because you hear a rumble as, as though from an engine outside your window. But when you look outside your in window, all you see is the lawn outside uh, the Danvers Asylum. There's no road, but anyhow, the trepanning. Why would we need to do a trepanning? Uh, to release certain pressures in your brain. Yes, I know that that is why it would... Um, uh, who would do that in the modern era? <laughs> uh, it's common practice in, in cases such as this. Is it? Uh, I know give a me a, <laughs> a no roll. A no. Like, what is that? Oh, sorry, that's that's EDU. Sorry about that. It, I think the character sheet says no by it, but it's sort of small. That's your EDU. It just rep it represents your knowledge, uh, your character's knowledge base, I guess. Oh, you're talking about education? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Kept looking down the sheet. Yeah, I mean, they do that along with electroshock therapy and lobotomies. Uh, but it, they don't do it for people they hold for 24 hours. I mean, it, there's quite a few more hoops to jump through. And also something occurs to you. You're like, why... Uh, with that knowledge, you know Danvers is, you know, between Boston and Massachusetts, out, out in the country. Why weren't you just picked up and taken to Arkham Sanitarium, which is just outside of the city? Why taken all the way to Danvers? Hmm. Uh, well, anyways, if you can uh, just sign right here. And he stuffed some papers in your face. <laughs> oh, sorry. Here, let me put the pen in your hand. What can I get a... A quick skim of what the papers say. Yeah, it's hard. They they keep you know fading in and out. Uh, you're um, you don't have your glasses on your head, so right. You wear glasses, I think. Yeah. Correct. Uh, so they're kind of hazy, fuzzy looking. But uh, yeah, give me a spot hidden. Oh, here it goes. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Uh, that's par for course. Uh, you 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 can't really ascertain what the paper is he's having you sign. But you see a lot of legalese, mm. and uh, it could be, you know, just signing that he will represent you in this matter. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw the pencil. <laughs> okay. I'm so, gonna... yeah. Go, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, start kind of throwing a tantrum. <laughs> Probably start spewing some words in German. So he carefully tucks the paper back into the folder that he had with him and closes it. And he stands and adjusts his lawyer's gun. And uh, <laughs> he says, well, this isn't going to look good in the doctor's report. But we'll have it. We'll play it your way, Professor Mueller. Have a nice day. <laughs> and he walks out of the room. All right, so your fit and your thrashing taxes your body. And it seems like you rest your eyes for only a moment when you hear the door to your room open and none other than Mr. Merriweather enters your room walking slowly with the aid of a cane and he settles himself into a chair, the same chair that Douglas Kimball has been perched in from time to time. Is Kimball and, there uh, now? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, old friend, it's bad to see you in such a way. How are you doing? Uh, I'm none the worse for, for where uh, how Merriweather Ah. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> well, go ahead. Oh, no, nah, I was just more rambling. <laughs> you remember when we were talking in the Orn private reading room, and I related the story about how I had just seen a vagrant wandering around with a stethoscope, using the apparatus to listen to the sides of buildings and trash bins and mailboxes and all manner of things. Hmm. And from there, we ruminated on the nature of perception and the age-old question, do the insane know that they are insane? Mm, mm. Yes, I've, I rather do remember this, uh, Herr Merriweather. Uh. Yeah, and, and for his part in that conversation, he confided in you because he said that men of the age that you both had achieved understood perception maybe a little bit better because you existed in two worlds. You existed in the world that, you know, you currently saw where you were having a conversation in the Orrin Library and the world in which you remember because your memory is such a deep well that sometimes it supplanted reality with those reminiscences. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, one fortune's the present, the other in the past. Yes, yes, you do remember. But you guys had talked about, you know, recent articles about that had come out at various sanitariums and, and some of the methods they had been using. And he had said this was the fault of materialists or, you know, people who lead, lean too hard into objective thinking. Because for some reason, utilitarianism and materialists go hand in hand. And their moral mandate always boils down to the greater good. And he had thought that that was essentially wrong because humans were objectivity. They were subjective. But um, so you guys had talked about that and the nature of perception, the nature of insanity. And one of his thoughts is that madness could have been like an overactive immune response for the mind, just a way to shelter the rest of that person's mind from you know, something they don't want to face. Uh, so, Mr. Mueller, that's why I'm here. You've conjured me to help you work through a problem because you are not well. <laughs> Do you understand that, Mr. Mueller? Ah, I see what this is, Herr Meriwether. You take me for a fool. Everyone seems to take me as for a fool just because of my accents. I speak English better than most of you, and everyone thinks I am a fool. I am not a fool. I am fine. Everything is fine. I have all of my skull wrapped firmly around my brain, and I am fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the trouble is inside your skull. I know you're lying to me, Mr. Mueller. Come on. Are you truly in Danvers Sanitarium right now? That is... Uh, Rather good question. Where else would I be, though? I, I don't know. There's always the Arkham Asylum. Yes, you could be there. Maybe you're still in Widner Library. Surely not. There must be some proof that you left Boston the following morning. I sent that. Uh, can you think of anything? I, well, what it, we'd have a train ticket stub, right? Or departure. Yes, slip. and where might, where might that be? Well, that would be on my, my jacket, <laughs> I believe. Hmm. Uh, so he stands up and he walks over to a part of the room where there's a dresser and he opens it up and, you know, he pulls out a jacket. <laughs> uh, this jacket, Mr. Mueller. Uh, yes, yes, that one. Uh, forgive he me. He rummages my, through the pockets. Hands are bound. Pulls out his wallet <laughs> and he uh, comes over to you with the wallet. Is this your wallet? I'll take a look at it. Is it? It it does appear to be your wallet. It it sort of flickers between a wallet damaged by submersion in water and one that isn't so damaged in your mind. I can't quite, quite tell without my glasses, but it appears to be my wallet. So this appears to be soggy <laughs> or, or perhaps uh, not. I don't know. <laughs> so he opens the billfold part and flips through, pulls out your ticket stub and he's like, ah, here we are. Hmm. Yes, the 1040 to Bolton. Is that the one? Oh, that's, yes, in the morning, right? Correct? Yes, yes. Yesterday morning, is that right? Yesterday morning. Or is it the day before? I don't know, unfortunately, Herr Merriweather. <laughs> so we know you got on the train from Boston. Perhaps you are still on that train, dozed off as old men often do, which of course means you have yet to arrive in Arkham, but surely that's not the case. You remember the confusion after your encounter with the consortium member and the concern you had for your fellow investigators. What did you do next when you arrived at Newburyport Station? Uh, I found lodging and uh, attempted to send a telegram to them. Yes, uh, telegram, that's right. Yes, 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 telegram. Here we are. And he pulls out the receipt and the copy of your telegram that was sent to Mr. Monroe back in Boston. Mm -hmm. So you're in a boarding house in Salisbury, was it? Dreaming about your encounter in the stacks and a burial mound in eastern Oklahoma? Is that where you're, you still are? I don't know. I would imagine that a, a, a boarding house would have more comfortable beds with less straps. <laughs> Indeed, Professor Mulan, and what a relief it would be for you to still be there. No strange attacks at the Orn Library, but then again, you would not have the De Vermis Mysterious, would you? 
Three and how long have you been searching for that tome now? A long time. That bastard at the library kept me from it. Multiple times. I am a respectable professor. He kept yes, me from it. Yes, who is he? Oh, let's see if I can dredge up his horrible name. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yes, Dr. Hemorrhage, I remember it. Mm. Yes. Who, what's, what, such a, what man must he think he is that he can gate information from curious minds? It's was no greater sin than keeping information, especially from someone such as myself. I have hungered for, for information, just the sheer volume of ages and pressing down, all put onto paper, histories, records, all there, and just to, to have it dangled out of reach. Yes. I don't know, Herr Merriweather. <laughs> I don't well, know. You might be on the banks of the Miskatonic, sleeping off an unremembered journey to Arkham under the summer sun with the De Vermis Mysterious in your jacket bundled there. Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you're in the culvert. Remember? You heard that patter of feet and the strange vocal meeping. Perhaps you turned too quickly and slipped, and there you lie now. Still time enough to steal away from Arkham without anyone besides that poor poor librarian, to know you were ever there. Mm. Is that where you are, Mr. Mueller? Uh, it would probably be preferable, Herr Merriweather. I'd have to just wake up and crawl my way out like some, some sewer rat. Yes, but that's not the full story, is it? You could still be in your home. That could be, yes. Reading some passage of the Book of the Worm that so shocked you that all sanity fled. Maybe Thaddeus Grunewald is knocking on your door right now with the notes and artifacts you asked for. But when did I ask for them? Presumably the same time you liberated the De Vermis Mysterious from the Orn Library. That would make sense. We know perception is a fickle thing. We humans wear objectivity as we do a death shroud. It is ill-fitting, see-through, and signifies the end of our humanity. So you decide, Mr. Mueller. Where are you? Where are you, Mr. Mueller? You decide and wake up. I am in my house, sitting in my chair. Everything is right. comfortable and warm. We will fade on Mr. Mueller with those words for now and return to James Whitmire as he enters the buried chamber where Orrin Eddy is in a sarcophagus. And you're going to work that open and try to find the locket. Is that correct? Well... And he wants to to die, and we need the locket to do that. We also want the locket to move his body. So I was going to open it just a bit and ask him if the locket's in his coffin. And if it is, see if I can get it. Okay. So, yeah, you uh, the, the lid slides open. And there you can see, struggling with his decayed body. But he's sort of moving and his hands stretch out towards you and when you ask him for the locket he's like yes it's with me it's somewhere with me my eyes they are dim i cannot find it do you see it if you see it destroy it so i'm gonna so can i do a spot hidden yes yeah he was buried why is that only sending to you do you know you must have wisp like it's a toggle thing at the top of the character sheet to whisper to GM or not. Did you find it? Yep. So you got a regular success with that spot hidden roll. And you do see the locket amongst other uh, items like a woman's silver hairbrush, uh, a mirror, like a hand mirror, that sort of stuff. I'm going to ask him what what is all this other stuff? Is, is it linked to other people like the locket is to you? No. They were... The possessions of my dear Alice. Oh, how I miss her. Please send me to wherever she has gone. Even if it is nothing, it is better than this. I'll, uh, I'll be more than happy to send you to see her. I need to get the locket first. As, how far down what, did I see that locket? Uh, it looks like it had, you know, in the over the passage of time, it just said all those items were 
sort of set on top of him, but it had just slid down to his side. Okay. So I'm going to see, I'm going to tell him that where it's at and see if he can grab it and hand it to me rather than trying to open this thing more and trusting him to stay still. <laughs> okay. Uh, you hear. Yeah, he'll fumble around with his hands and uh, then he sort of seizes on it, but it's like he almost, he can't really interact with it very well. Like he, he tries to, but you know, something seems to be stopping him from interacting with the locket. Okay. Well, I'll tell him that uh, I'll get it and tell him I'll, I'll open this thing up and get it, but you've got to, you've got to stay in there for the moment. Yes, just end it, please. All right. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start to open it more. Okay. Till I can uh, reach in and grab the thing. Yeah, this you don't have to. the uh, <laughs> machine gun comes out. <laughs> A Tommy gun. But or yeah, he, the uh... C4 explosion. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he lies there while you reach your hand in to grab that locket. And you, you get its um, the chain wound around your fingers and you're pulling it out when his hand grips your wrists and he says, Thank you. Thank you. So tell him that uh, you'll be at rest soon. And then uh, after I get my arm released, I'll close the coffin back up. Yeah, and it closes and he his body remains calm during the process and soon enough you're outside of the chamber with with the lock, well, you have the locket now. Okay. So yeah, the rest of you guys see uh, Whitmire clamber out of that hole that you had dug. Did you find anything? I'll uh, yeah, get up, dust myself off, tell him that I got it. Uh, he seems pretty set on us destroying it. But did he tell you? I guess how how we're supposed to bring him back with it? Is that what we're gonna do? No, I don't believe we discussed moving him with him. He just wanted us to destroy the the locket yeah. and end his life. So that, that's how he would finally die, according to him, is if we destroy that. I thought it was a pocket watch, but whatever it is. So, I mean, the, the whole idea of us trying to move this thing out of here was to both study it and uh, and make it more safe, you know, less chance of someone coming in and open this thing up. And destroying it would at least solve one of those problems. Unless you wanted to uh, me to get rid of it by other means. No, we're we're not wanting to destroy him just yet. Okay. We, um, so to clarify, he had said last time that it was important that you destroy the artifact. Because if you just destroyed his body and moved the artifact somewhere else, his consciousness would reform in that new location. Okay. So is this where... And so piece together sure. that uh, none of Corbett's possessions were destroyed. Yeah, you might. I mean, I'd uh, given that up a little bit after last session. So yeah, you guys can piece it together. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll bring that up to the others. That uh, the corpse down there had mentioned several times that uh, Corbett was a member of this and had had the same ritual happen. Uh, uh, from the reports, and Mr. McCracken, perhaps you can verify this, nothing from that investigation was actually destroyed. Perhaps if he can, I don't know what, what the term would be, come back from the dead uh, through the item that he had, perhaps he is out there and someone is in danger because Corbett was not a nice man. Well, wouldn't that mean that his consciousness reformed in the SEU? Is that, Very wasn't possibly. that where his possessions that those investigators found, isn't that where they took it? Well, uh, Mr. McCracken, do you know where the relics that were taken from the Corbett house exist now? Um, he writes that they're usually kept in the file room. Uh, the secretary would know better, but uh, he, didn't, he didn't have possession of the dagger when the investigation was concluded. The, uh, the other investigators brought that back to the SEU. Does anybody know if Mr. Dooley had possession of any of Mr. Corbett's items? Or even the corpse that's down there right now? Uh, Mr. Whitmire, did that, when you were down there just now, did he give you any idea of the sorts of things he's capable of when his 
personality is manifested in a certain place? No. Um, really, we just discussed finding the locket in in his coffin. But that might be something that we can now get out of him. Uh, and he's got every reason to do whatever we want since we've got the locket he wants destroyed. Yeah, we need to go down there and determine if from him if it's possible that he can cause harm to living people even if his corpse is locked up. Like if the amulet is taken somewhere else. And what was the term that he used? His his essence or his his what? His consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, we need to determine if he can do anything to the world of the living, wherever his conscious property. I think that's a good idea. As uh let me go back in and, and talk with him. As, uh, feel free to come along, though. Yes, I'll go down with Because I'll yeah. tell you, this thing really creeps me out. Yeah, um, Keeper, do I do I remember from any of the reports or whatever if, if, if Mr. Dooley had possession of any of the items from the Corbett house? Like, did he say anything in his diary or anything like that? Like, any pictures? No, his diary didn't mention any... Anything taken from the Corbett house? So are you all three going to go uh, talk to Oren Eddie again? Uh, yeah, although one of the things I was going to do while I was down there was grab the second statue, the second frog statue to take with me. Okay. All right, so you scoop that up as you guys enter and tuck it into your bag or into maybe the opposing pocket in your yeah. jacket. And uh, Whitmire opens the sarcophagus again and it, slides to that comfortable level that you guys like, where Oren Eddie's corpse begins to stir again, and he says, What? What is this? I thought I was to be destroyed. As you... We're, we're working on that right now, but you... There's a couple things that we need to know, as we think that uh, the consciousness, or whatever it is, of uh, Corbett is free as well and we want to know what are you capable of in that uh when you're like that what would he be capable of could he cause harm to living people so to give Oren a, a little bit of context i'll mention we had run across a a body much like you that was apparently mr corbett and his body was destroyed but all of the artifacts from his house were taken to another location. We're concerned that his essence may have contaminated someone or the area that they now reside. The Mr. Corbett that I knew in life existed to harm people. This procedure allows us to manipulate our remains. It's by a process I don't fully understand. Something the ancient Egyptians had figured out. Also, we have a sense of the structure in which we're housed. We can manipulate it to a degree. And he, uh, he sort of demonstrates this by levitating a piece of rubble broken in from you guys digging in. You know, just a, like half of a brick sort of lifts off the ground and hovers there in the center of the room for a little bit before settling down. Do you see? Yes, we see. Yes. Once again, I'll just exclaim, fascinating. Is that the extent of your capability? Would it be possible for you to kill somebody? Could you take somebody over? Or, I mean, how do you... Maybe. How do you become a person again? Is that, isn't that the goal of trying to live forever? My goal was to figure out how to contact my wife, Alice. She had died before me when I longed to see her again. All I sought was to pierce the veil between life and death. Is that so bad that I should be tortured in this way? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Corbett had a book, the Liber Ivanus. He never let me see it, but I suspected that he gained some strange knowledge and power from its pages. When Michael Thomas first came to us, he was just a young man in search of answers, as we all were. But he turned rapidly 
into almost a copy of Mr. Corbett. I wondered if perhaps he learned some strange method to compel others from those damned pages. Yeah, yeah. I thought Mr. Mueller had brought it up at one point, didn't he? Yeah, it was what the uh, the church was reading from and what Mr. Corbett, as he's already stated a bunch of times, I believe we found it at one point or found uh, paper, notes of, from it. I can't quite remember. And was, uh, uh, I thought was, another investigator had found it, one of our other ones. Yeah, it was before. Maybe? It was Johan. Uh, oh man, who were the others? The guy from Idaho yeah. that Brandon was playing. Yeah, Vincent. Uh, the guy that you were playing that got knocked out of the bedroom. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, their you name. guys. Um, the circumstances in which you had found the uh, Liber Ivanus, where you were examining the church grounds, and Vincent Newell fell through into this basement area, and there he had found that book. Yeah, I remember reading that report. Where did it say? So it as, got taken from from Johann. Yeah. yeah, while he was staying in his hotel room, it, it disappeared. And according to the uh, the hotel attendant at the time, uh, Mr. Mueller had gone out for a smoke and night air, and when he had come back, the book was gone. Mm-hmm. And so was his mind. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> nope, that's when it really happened. You've been sitting there babbling in front <laughs> of that hotel <laughs> um, clerk for months now uh, with a pair of stethoscope around my neck huh listening yes listening into walls <laughs> oh man this is in night Shyamala territory here <laughs> um, alright okay. make a power roll Mr. Whitmire I think that it's time to murder him oh no <laughs> oh beautiful is it, I can't remember is this actually is 99 the highest Roll 20 goes on its D100, or does it actually roll 100? It'll show 100. Oh. Yeah. So, narrowly fumbled. Yeah. <laughs> One sec here. I think this might even be uh, scripted to say that it was a crit fail, too, if it if it was. Okay. So, for the rest of you um, in that room, you know, after Whitmire makes his last statement, he pulls his 38 from his pocket, or you, you have, like, an inside... Or a holster in the jacket, or is uh, it on your hip? Yeah, as it's it's under the jacket, and uh, puts it to his temple, and his mouth opens, although his his lips and his mouth doesn't move to formulate words. And what issues forth is in the voice that you recognize to be Oren Eddie's, and um, although it doesn't sound quite as dusty and raspy, but it says, "Please, you must kill me now. Do it, or I will end this man's life." Oh. Does that answer your question about what they're capable of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, pull the trigger. I guess I'll rush forward to try and pull the gun away from his head. Yeah, same here. The All rocket, right. you fools. Put out some dex rolls. Oh, it's going to be sad. Even me. Did you want to do the opposing one? I guess we'll use your dex. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's your body he's manipulating. <laughs> Are Would you he push sure your it guys is, or uh, use my luck? <laughs> uh, you do get a bonus die since you have a readied firearm. It's it's a little difficult to beat a trigger finger. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so what is that? That's I think because it's a double zero on the other end, uh, you failed. So lucky for them, right? So well, it replaces your ten spot. So you rolled a uh, seventy-seven. Oh no, that takes it to a seven. You're right. Yeah. A good roll. So it'd be an extreme. <laughs> yes. Jeez. Um, I guess I could try to persuade. Well, like you yeah. said, it's hard to beat a ready trigger finger. <laughs> yeah. As I lunge, I would, I'd like to shout, "Okay, let him go. We'll stop." Well, I didn't get. Uh, I didn't get. Uh, doctor, did you roll a dex? I thought you were lunging to stop him too. Yeah, I was. I clicked it. Uh, I didn't see it show up for me. Mm-hmm. Do you see it now? All right. Yeah. Yes, I do. I'd push oh. it, but I'd end up pulling the trigger for him. <laughs> so you do have an extreme success there. Hmm. Pull the trigger. <laughs> do it. Yeah. I don't know that's if what, I'm that's able, what he does. Am I able to communicate with him at all? But according to the effect he's using, if he does something that 
is going to cause you obvious harm. You get one last owl roll to get out of it. So you have to beat his <laughs> bam regular success. And you did. So yeah, you feel, you feel this uh, force that was inside your body and you, you, um, you feel the electric impulses start to occur to make your finger squeeze the trigger to end your life. And in that last moment, you batter it away and you get uh, full control and you sweep the barrel away from your head. All right. As with that, can I also drop the locket and stomp on it? You may. No okay. damage roll is required. It takes a few stomps, but you can smash it into pieces that way. Maybe even resorting to the butt of your gun or your crowbar or whatever else to, okay. to grind it up even finer. Is that thing still alive? No. As soon as you break it that first time, it um, it seems the animating body just stops moving altogether. So, yeah, I'll I'll give it a couple extra stomps and look up at Monroe, Finn, and uh, Andrews and just. So that that was, he was way too dangerous to be left here. I agree. And if he could do that, what could someone with true malicious intent do? Certainly. I could think of a few things. I think they would be possible of making a young, impressionable boy kill his uncle. And dismember him. Maybe the force itself was, a, was enough to dismember him. Professor Mueller, you come to wearily blinking your eyes, but you see, thankfully, the familiar sight of your own home in Arkham, where you had slumped over your reading desk or your writing desk there with the De Vermis Mysterious open, page 462. But there you are. No sign of Douglas Kimball on your bed or anybody else for that matter. And it seems to be afternoon time, you would say, by looking out the window. What would you like to do? I am not much for thanking God, but thank you, God. At least for now, perhaps it's perhaps this is all merely an illusion, but perhaps we can make the most of the illusion. Right, Keeper? Yes. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I guess the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go over to the window and kind of open it up, look outside, take a nice big breath of fresh air. Yeah, it, um, perhaps it's your mind playing further tricks on you, but the air feels more real. You you know, every sensation that goes along with breathing in nice fresh air is there, whereas certain things were kind of fuzzy in events prior to this. Uh, you do see maybe halfway down the street, the otherwise empty street, you know, a form walking away. Just a, uh, you know, a, you kind of maybe recognize him from the campus. Oh, yes, that, that was Thaddeus Grunewald as he walks away down the street, but then he disappears out of view. Ah, won't let that get to us. I'll close the window. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll sit back down in front of the, uh, the, what was it, the Vermis Mysterious? Yeah. Yes, the Book of the Worm, 462. In mm. the Latin, the heading says, the title is, uh, The Process on the Transfer of the Mind is the name of the chapter. Yeah, and I guess I'll do what Johan's always kind of wanted to do, which is begin uh, the slow process of translating it <laughs> for him, which is because of his low Latin skill. Okay. But, uh, uh, hmm, yeah, we'll go with that for now. Yeah, you. I mean, you do remember in your fugue state that Mr. Grunewald had said he left some documents and an artifact mm. at your door. That is in the back of your head. Dare you go look? I think I'll start the translation and <laughs> that will, uh, no, then that will come to mind. Okay. And I'll uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, I'll search around real quick, like my desk or something, maybe find my gun, <laughs> because that okay. hasn't gotten me in trouble yet. And uh, <laughs> then I'll go towards the front door where the uh, papers are supposed to have been left, or the documents. Yes, and uh, there is just a tidy bundle of papers in a folder, and on top of that is a cloth-wrapped dagger-length shape. Uh, you're pretty familiar with the artifact as you were around when it was picked up, and it was, you know, there was one SEU meeting where they talked about the ramifications of certain reports surrounding the Corbett House, and 
the dagger was passed around for people to, you know, look at. But you remember it being pretty unremarkable. But one memory that does come back to you and uh, almost takes you over in the way old and can be taken over by memories is the claim by your fellow investigators during the Corbett House investigation that you were possessed by Corbett and you spoke with his voice. Out of nonsense. I have no recollection (laughs) of that. (laughs) It was gas, methane gas. (laughs) But we will leave this session with that thought bouncing around Johann Mueller's head. Thanks for playing, guys. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So now we've got to kill... Johan Mueller. What? <laughs> Why you gotta do that? Kill him. Because that guy possessed me now, too. And he hates Corbett, who possessed me. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.